Have you ever wanted to peek into the dark corners of history and see what you find? Luckily, you've come to the right place. I'm Teddy. I'm Katrina. And this is Grave History, a macabre history podcast. Good afternoon, Teddy. Mm, we're, we're switching things up. We are. It's the afternoon. The sun is technically shining. Oh, it's shining here. Oh, is it? That sounds nice. It was really hot here. Well, not really hot, really warm yesterday, but now Ooh. it's kind of eh. I had a very stilted conversation about it with a lady in the uh, social distance queue to go into the co-op today. <laughs> Just yelling at her. It's it's warm today, isn't it? It's warm! <laughs> Yeah. Because that's how life is now. I I had a similar conversation with the person kind of in the next garden to me. Uh Uh-huh. Going, oh, yeah, it's really humid, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's humid. Okay, bye. Like, oh, human interaction. (laughs) It's all it takes now. It feels special now, doesn't it? It does. I, I don't know. I'm in a house with four other people, so, like... I can talk to people, I suppose. Mm, but it's the same four people, isn't it? Yeah, I wish they'd change, you know. <laughs> Just a rotating Just pretend cast. to be someone else for a bit. <laughs> Just cosplay as one of my other friends. That would be pretty good, actually. If they would do that, I would love that. That would be great. But speaking of people who are... I'm trying to think of a segue. Speaking of people who are in a place, possibly with other people... Speaking of people, bog bodies. <laughs> That'll do. That's good. Did you know ancient people used to bury some dead in bogs? Wow. I can't believe that. I know. Yeah. Today we're talking, uh, it's my choice of topic, mm-hmm. and we are talking about one of my favourite, favourite things, uh, which is bog bodies. It is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We're going to kind of look at what a bog body is, kind of how one's made in comparison, especially to man-made mummies like Egyptian. The most famous kind of mummy. The most famous. And if I remember correctly, one of your favourites. It is one of my favourites. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of other... Uh, there's the Andes mummies. That is correct. Yes. There are Siberian ice mummies. You know what I'm kind of into? What? There's um a kind of... Now, I can't remember the name for it, but it was uh, a self-made mummy, which would be created by a, uh, I think, Buddhist priest in Japan. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I believe yeah, yeah. it's a Buddhist priest. Um, um, it could have been a it Shinto is. priest, and I'm remembering this completely incorrectly. But he would effectively starve himself to death in a room filled with very large candles and dry out. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, they fed on specific diets for a thousand days, then another specific diet for a thousand days, then went into this tomb and, and basically buried themselves and stayed there for another thousand days and then they would be checked on and if they'd become a mummy, they'd achieved um, enlightenment. Nirvana. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. But I think that's I, I don't know I don't know what it's called in Japanese because obviously I wasn't paying attention in my uh, contemporary Japan and religion class, which I took. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so today we're talking about a kind of mummy that is not deliberately made, as far as we know. Yeah. Not deliberately made, mm-hmm. as far as we know. Not self-made, as again, as far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is going to be a continuing theme. The whole episode of 
as far as we know. Yes, because this is this is we're, or we're as doing, far as we can tell. We're going as far back in history as we've gone so far. So last time we were kind mm-hmm. of looking at the beginning of recording of a mass-produced recorded history. Yeah. But we're going back before recorded history itself. Yeah, we're going into prehistory, baby. My favourite type of history. I don't really know anything about prehistory. So this this is this is interesting to me because it's like very outside my area of knowledge. Yay! Yay! Well, I have lots of information for you. Good. Which is always nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought, before we went any further, we would pay a, a homage? Pay homage? Homage. Homage to someone else who is, is very obsessed with bog bodies, but more as a metaphor. Well, I think he was quite interested in them kind of as they came as well, but yes, as a metaphor. For the troubles. The troubles. <laughs> that is, in fact, Seamus Heaney. Yes. Well known to everyone who took GCSE English, I think. For me, it was advanced higher English, which is like... Because oh. we have a different exam system that's... Oh, yeah. Not real. Um, <laughs> is that similar to A-level? It's basically the... I think it's like maybe AS level. It's one level up. Okay. It's like... The, it's, it's the exams you do in um uh, sixth year of high school and you don't actually need them to get into uni. Like, you can apply just with your highest. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do them Got for fun, basically. Yeah, that's AS. Yeah. Advanced something level. Yeah, totally. So yeah, we did Seamus Heaney, we did Shakespeare, we did Tennessee Williams, and let me tell you, Tennessee Williams is very nice. good to study because he does not mince metaphors, he will tell you what it is meant to be an allegory of. God, what a dream. It is the dream. But yes, Seamus yeah. Heaney, um, we looked at his bog poems mm-hmm. about, uh, well he was writing specifically about the Irish bog bodies, I believe? Uh, I think so, yeah, because he covers the Growl Oh no, he, co- mm, he covers the Growl man who's Danish. Oh, okay, 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 never mind. Um, but yeah, he was interested in them in general. Mm. And he had some stuff to say on them. Yeah. So I thought I would read you one of his poems. One of my favourite ones called Bog Queen. I'm not entirely sure which bog body this is about. If it's a specific one at all. But it's my favourite one. So I wanted to read you it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, all the pollens come out, even though it's, you know... <laughs> Listen, don't mock my hay fever. Anyway. I lay waiting between turf face and demesne wall, between heathery levels and glass-toothed stone. My body was braille for the creeping influences. Dawn suns groped over my head and cooled at my feet. Through my fabric and skins, the seeps of winter digested me. The illiterate roots pondered and died in the cavings of stomach and socket. I lay waiting on the gravel bottom, my brain darkening, a jar of spawn fermenting underground, dreams of Baltic amber. Bruised berries under my nails, the vital hoard reducing in the crock of the pelvis. My diadem grew carious, gemstones dropped in the peat flow like the bearings of history. My sash was a black glacier, wrinkling dyed weaves in Phoenician stitchwork, retted upon my breast's soft moraines. I knew winter cold like the nozzle of fords at my thighs, the soaked fledge, the heavy swaddle of hides. Oof. Now that I've read it, I think I do actually know which bog body it is about. Which one do you think it? I think it's the Hulderamosa woman who we will cover in this episode, actually. Okay, 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 that's good. Yeah. Mm. God, I love Seamus Heaney. Same. God, what a poem. I love it. So, kind of before we get into what a bog body is, I thought mm-hmm. we should probably cover what a bog specifically is. 
Oh, good, because I was having this conversation with my dad the other day cause about, <laughs> like, I called a, a bog a, a fen and he took exception to it. Because uh, apparently they're completely different. They are. They are. Oh, please explain to me. They're both types of wetland uh, or mires, but bogs specifically are a type of mire that accumulates uh, peat, which is made from dead plant matter, uh, particularly a mm. moss called sphagnum moss. Okay. Which sink into what was originally a pond or uh, a lake and start to decompose, but there's not enough oxygen um, for them fully to decompose. So they just start building up and up and up until they create a bog, which is actually a natural carbon sink, uh, which means that it's something that absorbs more carbon than it creates. So very good for the environment. So we need more bogs is what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Wonderful. Glad to hear it. Please continue. Bogs are naturally highly acidic, unlike fens. So the difference there is fens are naturally alkaline. Ah, so they're literally the complete opposite of each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And bogs obtain their water from rainfall, whereas fens acquire it from groundwater. Okay. Biggest bog in the world is in the Western Siberian lowlands and covers about a million square kilometres. Which is wow. pretty fucking huge. Big bog. Mm-hmm. The main thing that kind of helps create bog bodies within a bog is something called sphagnum. The, mo- the moss. It, so it's created from the moss, which is fun. Right, sorry. Yeah. Um, so it's a polymer uh, that was recently discovered that comes from dead sphagnum moss, uh, which grows in bogs. Mm-hmm. It's a natural tanning agent and helps to strengthen the bonds between natural fibres in the skin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It also bonds with nitrogen, which bacteria needs to survive, starving at a fuel to grow and, and preventing decay. So you can see how it's creating a kind of perfect uh, environment. Yeah, totally. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. You always think about something like water as being very... Because um, in most cases it would greatly advance decomposition, mm. or, or, so, or so I understand. Mm-hmm. But no, that's interesting. I, I wish I knew more about chemistry so I could like really kind of get to grips <laughs> with how that actually worked. I do know peat, though, because the, the, mm. the area around where I live is very peaty. Mm. Um, there's a lot of it in the nearest river, and it's very soft. Yes, it's exceptionally soft and intensely mm. flammable. Interesting. Didn't know mm. that. Because uh, okay, one okay. of the areas where I LARP, uh, shout out to Eversley for ILARP. Shout out to Eversley. <laughs> it's a peat-based forest, so you can't have any fires on the ground or drop any lit cigarettes because although it might not start a fire there, it will start a fire mm-hmm. somewhere else in the same forest. How? It, I don't know, but it, it that's how it's just how it works. It's very weird and I don't like it. So you can't have like a, a merry campfire where you're all seated around maybe you know roasting a wild boar someone's playing the accordion you can it just has to be off the ground as long as it's off the ground you can have as many as you like wonderful i'll remember (laughs) that yeah so basically what it creates between the mixture of the uh, acid and the low temperature and the lack of oxygen is Mm -hmm. essentially a perfect environment for preserving flesh okay and i say specifically flesh because they often don't preserve bones as well interesting Mm. sometimes uh or often get dissolved by the acids that the peep releases that is interesting that's why a lot of bog bodies like our our boy the lindau man my boy uh kind of look like like weird 
cushions. He looks like... There was a picture of the Lindo man in a book I had mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and I always called him the pizza man, because he <laughs> looks exactly like the gross pizza they used to serve at our primary school dinners. Oh no! Like, exactly. He probably tasted like it, too. <laughs> oh boy. Don't eat the Lindo man. He's a friend. Gonna eat the Lindo, the forbidden snack. <laughs> the forbidden pizza. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those bodies are pretty much just skin. Mhm. Mhm. So, t- to specify, a bog body is a human corpse that has been naturally mummified by a bog. Very good. That's all it is. That's your definition of a bog body. There's no specific location that they have to be from. There's no specific era of history that they have to be from. Some of them have hair and skin. Some of them have clothing. Some of them are just skeletons. Some of them aren't skeletons. And um, unlike, you know, like, for example, Egyptian mummies, there is no ritual with them, as far as we know. So uh, what I would say is there's no ritual to the level of what the Egyptians did. Like, there isn't the ritualistic removing of organs and brain and what have you. Mm -hmm. But there seems to be a certain level of of ritual to it. Interesting. Which I will get into a bit when we get more in depth. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. Also, another thing that is different to the Egyptian mummies is that there doesn't seem to be very much human part in the preservation process yes okay it seems to be more accidental than purposeful okay 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 well i'm ready to learn yay i've already learned more about bogs than i ever knew (laughs) i'm glad i could be of service so the oldest bog body in the world is the um okay before we get any further i'd like to put a disclaimer out i am gonna do my best to pronounce all these different names because there are Irish ones, there are Scottish ones, and there are Danish ones. I am English. Don't worry, I won't judge you much. <laughs> also, for any Danes listening, I am learning Swedish. If that colours my pronunciation of things, that's why. Now that's out of the way. <laughs> I'm really glad I don't. I'm really glad this isn't my episode because I can just sit and uh, laugh at all of your pronunciations <laughs> instead of trying to say them. Meanie. Mm. So yeah, the oldest bog body is the uh, Holbaya man, uh, who is a skeleton found in Denmark, dating to 8000 BCE, or what is known as the Mesolithic period. Wow. Which is the Middle Stone Age, fun fact. That's a... Again, I don't really know enough about prehistory to be... It was a very long time ago. Mm. You're you're right there. You've really got that on the (laughs) nail on the head. (laughs) And what's left of him... Just his skeleton, really. Which is interesting, because I did... Yeah, I was going to say, I thought that was the part that the bog broke down. Yeah, but it's... They did find his skeleton, but I, from what I understand, it was intensely fragile. Aren't we all? Mm. So the oldest one they found to still have flesh is the Cashel Man, uh, who was found in County Leeshan Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he dates to about 2000 BCE which um, in that area at the time would have been the Bronze Age. Yes, okay, you're slightly more on my scale of, no- of knowing when times are. Excellent. It's worth specifying, whenever you're dealing with prehistory, Ireland might be in the Bronze Age, somewhere else might still be in the Stone Age, someone else might have discovered iron. It's very kind of... Oh, what? They're all different? Mm, it depends <sighs> on, on kind of access to resources. It's kind of like how during what we call the Dark Ages, the Middle East was having one of its best times ever Mm -hmm. 
They were like, hey, have you guys heard of washing? Yeah, well, all of Europe is just collectively <laughs> shitting the bed. Exactly. So the oldest bog bodies found in the UK are from Scotland. Of course. <laughs> They're called the Cladhallan skeletons. Uh, they were found in South Uist in Scotland. And they are essentially several skeletons, but those skeletons are made up of the bones of a range of people. Creepy. So they're like mm-hmm. jigsaw puzzles assembled from lots of people. Yeah, and also various people from different points in a kind of window of about 300 years. What on earth does that imply? I assume it's... If I had to guess, I would say it's a kind of site that they found to be kind of significant, and so they just kept putting things in. Kind of putting the boat to... So, so the, they put the bones together, though, as if they were deliberately trying to create... I uh, don't know. But they, right, they okay. put out the... Like, they put out the display when they were displaying them mm-hmm. of the different... Like, of one skeleton made of all the different bones, but I don't know. It wasn't clear if that was how they were found. Oh, okay. Just so that, that would be pretty extraordinary if people were found buried that way. That would be very weird. That would be very strange. But no, please, tell me more. Uh, the youngest UK bog body was also found in Scotland, found mm-hmm. in Gunnister, and he dated to the 18th century. Ooh. Mm. The youngest one found at all was in the Republic of Karelia in northwest Russia. Mm-hmm. And that was Sergeant Boris Lazarev, uh, a 22-year-old World War II pilot. See, I would almost say that doesn't count as a bog body, but it kind of does. Mm. Yeah, he was still mummified in a bog, accidentally. How did they... Uh, when was he discovered? Do you know? He was discovered, I think, I want to say in the 80s? Let me do a quick cursory googling, because I'm really unprofessional. <laughs> and they, and they, they knew who it was, that's pretty interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because he was essentially still in his uniform. <laughs> That's nice of him, I'm glad. Yeah, and all like a lot of documents that were with him were also preserved in the same way. One so were they were they looking for him or mm. So this oh. uh this group that found him, I from what I remember I'm gonna confirm it. Yeah, so sixty sixty six years after he went down in nineteen forty three, mm-hmm. Russians and Americans um searching in archives found details of his crash. Okay. Um, and they went to look in the swamp for where his plane had gone down. And they found it. No, I was just wondering if it was one of those cases, like I read about some archaeologists who were digging up a, a plane and it had a it had a dead body in it, which they were not aware of. Oh, God. Um, when, I think that just incurred a lot of paperwork that they didn't know yeah. they'd have to do because archaeology, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm told, involves a lot more paperwork than you'd think. Mm, my friend, uh, my friend Afifa is a archaeologist. Nice. And she was recently at a uh, dig in London. They were digging a basement, and she came across what she realised was a human bone, and cool. took it to her boss. And he was just like, "Are you sure? Are you sure it's not an animal bone? Are you sure?" And she was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm sure." And he was like, "Please, can you just double check?" <laughs> We, yeah, because you'd have to involve the police if the bone's like a certain mm-hmm. a certain size. Yeah, you know, or I, I don't remember what the exact protocol is, but that's the case in a lot of graveyards. I know if if they get bones mm-hmm. washing up. Yeah, there's a mudluck Instagram I follow who found a skull and several bones on the London Thames side and had to report that to the police, and it turned out it was from like 
the 1700s. Cool. I mean, yeah. better that than the 1970s, I suppose. Yeah, I found a human mm. jawbone in a cemetery. Oh, yeah! You told me about that. Was that Greyfriars? Yes, it was. Nice. And we were kind of looking for bones um, because of the heavy <laughs> rainfall, and we were not disappointed. Uh, but yeah, the, the 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 guy who works for the tour company there said that if they are, they've got like a, a filing cabinet with bones in it, and if they are, <laughs> it, if, you, know, for, you know, for reinterring, um, but yeah. if they are a certain size, then they have to report them to the police. Ah, that makes sense. Or, I don't know, if they suspect foul play or something. I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. Critical. But it's, yeah. It's probably best always when you find human bones to tell the police. Uh, yeah, you should just probably call the sure. police if you're just, like, yeah. out and about. And if you, yeah, call the police. <laughs> it's always better to be safe than sorry. And if I recall correctly, that happens in the case of quite a few bog bodies, right? Oh, that they're mistaken for recent murders? Yeah. Yeah. I have a little story for you in a bit. Wonderful. Please, sorry, keep going. That's okay. So I'd like to introduce you to a couple, well not a couple, several bog bodies of note, Mm -hmm. if if we can refer to them like that. Of course we can. And they're from a range of places. I know we we usually focus on the UK, but a lot of the more kind of quote-unquote notable bog bodies come from Denmark and Ireland. Basically the places with the most bogs. Mm -hmm. More bogs, more bodies, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's my favourite song by the Notorious (laughs) B.I.G. That's going to be my song. I'm going to release it. It's going to happen. So the first one I'd like to introduce you to is, or are, the uh, Verdinger couple, also known as the Verdinger men. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Are we about to get some representation? We are. It's good, finally. So these two were found in the Netherlands um, and were dated to be from between 160 BCE to 220 CE. Okay. So roughly the Iron Age, if I if I had to pinpoint it. So they were originally thought to be a man and woman, mm-hmm. due to the fact that one was slightly larger, one was smaller, one was clearly a man, one was a little bit too damaged to to properly identify at first. I was one of them. You, you knew she was a girl because she had eyelashes and like a yes. pink bow on her head. That's... <laughs> and she still had titties. She still had skeleton titties, yes. Mm-hmm. But they were also discovered to be in, in what's referred to as quite a tender positioning. Interesting, interesting. They How... were kind of cuddled up and, and their arms were interlinked. That's very nice. Mm. However, later they were discovered to be two men. Just boys, just guys being dudes. Just two bros chilling in a grave. (laughs) There was a couple of theories when they were first discovered that they might, or discovered to be men, that they were killed because they were gay, but I'm I'm not going to read into that. I don't think that's true. Probably, I mean, mean, we'll never know, but I think there were a lot of other reasons to be killed back then. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Next, we've got three... All coming to you from one bog. Wow. Or, if not the same bog, the same area. Uh, they all come from Silkeborg in Denmark. Great name for a bog. Mm-hmm. So the first is the Elling woman. Uh, she was dated to the early Iron Age. Mm-hmm. She was found with a very neatly braided pigtail uh, that was so well preserved that you can actually recreate it. Oh, yes, I've seen uh, pictures of her. Mm. She's, she looks, she looks very good. Yeah, her hair is 
perfectly mm. like preserved. It's amazing. My hair's never looked that good, and I'm alive. Me either. It's not fair. <laughs> and she was found in a cloak made of very fine uh, quality thread, mm-hmm. which signified that she might be someone of a slightly um, higher standing. Oh, she was like a princess. She was a princess. She had princess oh, hair. Bog princess. Bog princess. That's the name of my band. It's a pretty good name, actually. I genuinely mean that. <laughs> then you have probably the best preserved of the bog bodies, which is the Tolland Man. Yeah, if you've never seen a picture of him, Google him now because the Tolland Man looks fantastic. He looks incredible. He looks I will great. say his head is the only original part. The body was actually recreated after the his actual body um, was was damaged. Yeah, the reverse Jeremy Bentham, if yes, you will. Exactly. Just put the two of them together. Let them have a head hanging. Finally, the <laughs> name a more iconic duo. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> so he was found with only his arms and hands skeletonized, mm-hmm. which is a common feature on on bog bodies, is that their extremities will start to um, skeletonize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was nude except for an oxide belt and a pointed sheepskin cap. We've all been there. Oh yeah. With some very notable injuries that I will get into a bit later on um, when we dive into what we do know or can work out about bog bodies. Yeah. But the thing with him is how beautifully his face is preserved. Mm. It's perfect. Like, you can see his, his like, stubble. Yeah, you can see his stubble. You can see pretty much every line on his face. He just looks like he's mm. asleep, really. Oh, he looks like he's fallen asleep yeah. in a tanning bed. Yeah. Or he's just an old man in, like, Mallorca. Yeah. <laughs> Either or. Yeah. And then the last one from that bog is the Growble Man, who Seamus Heaney has written a poem on. Yes. So, so that, that bog was producing some high-quality content. Oh, yeah. He's actually the most preser- uh, most examined bog body and has an incredibly well-preserved face feet and hands which is quite a rarity to have all all three still well preserved yeah i mean i know some alive people who can't say the same (laughs) exactly exactly there's always men on the bus with like really dry hands and really dry feet hey we're all we're all suffering i've got very dry hands right now i've got very dry hands right now We all do. And uh, this was before we had to, like, fanatically wash. Oh, well, no one was washing before we were all told we had to, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. The next bog body I would like to introduce you to is the Clonny Carven Man. Now, that one I don't know if I'm pronouncing right, but I couldn't find a pronunciation guide. So, just deal with it. And he dated to between 392 and 201 BCE. Okay. So, again, Iron Age period. And he was found in County Meath in Ireland. The interesting thing about him, um, and another Irish bog body called the Old Cronin Man, Mm -hmm. who was found in County Offaly, was that they both had missing nipples and signs that they had been quite violently removed. How does one non-violently? Under anaesthetic with a scalpel. Under what circumstances? Oh, wait, no, sorry, I get you. I'm with you. I just remembered how, like, stuff works. So the the reason or the theory behind why this might have been done is in ancient Ireland a move or a symbol of submission to king or um, I don't think a queen I'm just going to say king mm. um, was uh, sucking the king's nipple. I'm going to say in modern Ireland that's probably still a sign of submission to a king or other dominant male. <laughs> probably. So because they had been removed. They th- the theory is that they were either failed kings 
or failed king candidates. Sorry, when you said that, I imagined someone just like sucked so hard that they just it just came off, you know, <laughs> like oh, erosion. But no, you meant something Stop different it. and technically worse, yeah. but also kind of not worse. <laughs> yeah, he was just so good Stop at it. being king that. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Please stop. Okay. <laughs> Another thing with both of them is that they were both um, triple killed. Triple killed. So similar to say hang drawing and quartering. Oh, overkill. And it just really making just, sure the, this guy's yeah. definitely dead. So how how are they triple killed? Well, the Clonny Carvin man, for example, was strangled and stabbed and struck on the head. Not necessarily. Yeah, that, that would definitely do it. I was going to say that would that would that would do it. Although I think you could survive being stabbed and hit on the head. I think it would be the strangling that would kill you, surely. You know, I haven't thought about this mm. much, but it's not I'm thinking the, about it right now. It's not the knives; it's the strangling that yeah. will kill you. Yep, depends where you stab someone. But this is theorized to be to symbolize an offering to a triple aspect goddess. Uh, which are very common in in pagan religions. Yes. So representing potentially fertility, sovereignty, and and war, which tend to be a common uh, set of aspects. Cool. Mm. Now, we might be able to come a little bit closer to to me, not by much. Okay. Uh, Okay. Not many bogs in Essex, I'll be honest, sadly. Uh, You could tell me literally anything about Essex, and I'd believe you I know nothing about Essex. (laughs) Well, we're going to be in Cheshire, for now. Where the cat is from. Because yeah. it's time to shout out to our boy, the Lindau man. The Lindau man! Our boy, we love Lindau him. Lindau man! You can visit him. Mm. Well, you can't visit him right now. Um, no. But, you, but usually. In theory, you'll be able to visit him soon. Mm. In the before times, you could visit him at the British Museum. Yes, yes. <laughs> so he dates to between 2 BCE and 119 CE. Mm-hmm. And when he was first found, he was thought to potentially be a modern corpse and actually had to be x-rayed to check for fillings. Right. Although, what if he was mm. just a modern corpse with no fillings? I'm just saying. I think, I'm assuming they also carbon dated him. Oh, yeah, I that assume. would be, yeah, yeah, that would probably... But that, I, I think probably x-raying is, is quicker? Easier? Mm. Don't, I, I... Science, man, is great. It just teaches us so much about the world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> but he was found to be incredibly well groomed with famously lovely fingernails. His fingernails are beautiful. You can see one on his chest. The mm. rest of them yeah. are on his hand. <laughs> um, but yes, pizza man. Um, another one who they thought potentially was quite a, a well-off person, mm. much like the Elling woman. Now he is. Um, he's he's quite a good example of bones not surviving because he's very flat. Mm. He's very lumpy. He looks like a kind of cubist portrait of himself. You know, the way his, the yes. way his head is. Yeah. Oh my god, I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, totally. And he's, um, there's not a lot of him. He's, um... No. Yeah. He, he was... Uh, it's all coming back to me now. He was the victim of, I believe, a peat-cutting accident or incident. Yes. That's the thing. A lot of bog bodies now... So there was a sort of heyday... For finding bog bodies <laughs> before the sort of mechanization of uh, peat harvesting, peat farming, uh, which means that a lot of them are found in small bits. And one such bog body, do you like this segue, that mm-hmm. was found like that was another body from uh, the Lindau Moss, for uh, Lindau Moss bogs, mm-hmm. which was the Lindau woman. 
who's also known as Lindau 1. Oh, so the Lindau man's Lindau 2. No, he's Lindau 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> With it, the sequel that's better than the original. So the Lindau woman was discovered in 1983 in Cheshire and was initially thought to be the remains of a woman called Malika de Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Her husband, one Peter Rain Bart, I think that's how it's pronounced, had essentially been bragging around town that he had murdered her and <laughs> hidden her body. Not a great move if you're a murderer. No. But because they had no no body and no proof, they couldn't they couldn't arrest him for anything. I mean you can he you, confessed. You can convict someone if there's no body. But I'm yeah, I'm assuming there were other things. Yeah. The head of the Lindau woman, as that's all that remains of her, was discovered by peat farmers who initially thought it was a deflated football. <laughs> Dignified. Love it. Oh yeah. Just her head going along a conveyor belt, you know. <laughs> but they cleaned it up and discovered that it, it was in fact a head, a, what appeared to be a woman's head. And so they thought, without really carbon dating it that it had to be the remains of Miss De Fernandez mm. and so Peter was confronted and he confessed because he thought it was her body and said essentially it's been so long I thought I would never be found out that's pretty funny considering how long it was actually the <laughs> so he gave a full confession and it turned out what had happened according to him was that he'd killed her two years prior after she'd discovered him with another man and tried to blackmail him over his homosexuality, which was still illegal at the time. Eh. Mm, cool motive, still murder. <laughs> yeah. So at the same time as he was confessing fully, the head was sent to Oxford University for carbon dating, and it turned out to be nearly 2,000 years old, dating to around 2000, uh, 250 CE. That is pretty funny, though. <laughs> uh, he tried to revoke his confession, but it was barred and he was still imprisoned. Cool. Because at that point, he'd confessed. He definitely did murder her, yes. That was, yeah. yeah. Hard to walk away from that one. So, before we look into what bog bodies can tell us about the kind of communities they came from, hmm. I thought we could take a small break. Ooh, maybe okay. go and seek out the nearest bog for, like, a bath, maybe, <laughs> or just, like your state-approved exercise for the day? Yeah, I was just... I've, I've had my state-approved exercise for today. If I step outside, I'll be immediately uh, killed by the sniper on the roof. <laughs> just the bomb implanted in your system. Yeah. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go and grab a quick drink, and then we'll return and talk some more about some mummies. Mummies. I love mummies. Okay. okay. I'll see you in a moment. See you in a moment. It's an awful mess and a bad case of cannibalism. Quote by Master Corporal Bob Bisson. If you want to hear more bad cases of cannibalism and indeed awful messes, make sure to listen to Casting Lots, a survival cannibalism podcast. All right, now that we're back, have you tracked down your nearest bog? Um, I think it's nearby, but also... Okay. But you know what I did remember I've once had? I have drank bog water. Why? On a, on a school trip to the Highlands, Ben Moore, we were told mm. that um, you can... That the, the water that comes uh, out of the bogs, the peat water, is actually drinkable. So we all had some. 
Mm-hmm. It tastes quite... It tastes better than London tap water, I'll tell you that. <gasps> How dare you? London tap water's great. It, It's not. Um... <laughs> And I, I pointed out to everyone that there was probably like dead bodies in the water, and I wasn't very popular. <laughs> it was the first year of high school, so I already wasn't very popular. But you know, let me tell you, that's oh, not a crowd no. pleaser. No, I can imagine. <laughs> hmm. I'm, I can't imagine it's it's worse than drinking the water in Bath, because that was bad. Oh, that still tastes so nasty. Yeah. It tastes like blood, genuinely. But I remember it tasting like, like um, what's it called? The sulfur. Yeah, that as well. Depends yeah. on the, the mouthful, really. Mm. It's just weird because it's warm. It's warm and it's like, ugh, it was disgusting. Mm-hmm. But onto something less disgusting. Yes, less Bulk disgusting. Del- yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that bulk bodies can do without question is tell us a lot about um, ancient people. Yeah, because again, pre pre written uh, history. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, some of it is very specific which we will come to later but some of it is a bit more up for debate and the main thing that's up for debate about bog bodies is why why are they there why were they put there why that particular area why bogs in general (laughs) the the main theory behind it so the reason why being buried in bogs is so strange in even in that era is the main forms of burial at the time were either to be buried in the ground with grave goods, Mm -hmm. like normal. Yes. Placed in crouched forms in earth barrows. Yes. Which are a type of earthwork that's common in Bronze Age and Iron Age burials. You can see a lot of very beautiful examples around Scotland. Exactly. And the other one is to be cremated and either then put in a dish or put in a like a jar, like a beaker. That's how I want to go. Mm-hmm. So the main theory as to why these bodies were treated differently mm-hmm. is that they were human sacrifices. Right, okay. Mm. Which I know is kind of the go-to idea when you don't know. I mean, for a lot of archaeologists, the go-to idea when you don't know something is to say it was for ritual purposes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> I've been informed. Yeah. The reason why this is thought to be the, the reason is because a lot of them are discovered with violent wounds that were their cause of death mm. or with rope around their neck yeah, that the, was their cause of death. The Tolan man was found with rope around his neck, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's not clear, obviously, whether this was punishment for criminals within the community or a kind of sacrifice that was willingly made. Okay. Because a lot of them, like if you look at the Tolland man, for example, there doesn't seem to be any sign of trauma on the face. They always seem to look very kind of peaceful. He looks great. Yeah. Which obviously the face does relax after after death, but a lot of the times with traumatic bodies, you can kind of tell that something horrible happened. Yeah, I mean, he. I know he's wearing a hat, but um, his head doesn't look like it was bashed in or anything like that. No. Nor does he look like he's been asphyxiated. No. As far as I... I've not seen a lot of asphyxiation. (laughs) Another thing that kind of gives you an idea that maybe it was a willing sacrifice Mm -hmm. 
is that there are some bodies that are clearly buried with a lot of care and their expensive jewellery and expensive clothing is left on them, like with the uh, the Aleng woman. Yes. So when ritual sacrifice is suggested, it's obviously usually attributed to a goddess, usually a fertility one, because that was the kind of main... I would say the main worry at that time was the idea that your harvest wouldn't be successful. Are we talking literal harvest or, you know, a metaphorical baby harvest? Either. Cool. Really? Wonderful. Just clarifying. Yeah. I mean, fertility, it, it, it usually is that double-edged sword, isn't it? Mm. So... This follows the idea that bogs were bogs were treated as some kind of magical or or liminal space. Interesting. Okay, I like liminal spaces. Yeah, because they're that kind of in between. Like they're not water, but they're not earth. So they're that kind of in between space where nothing is quite concrete. If there's concrete, then it's not a real blog. Uh, I was about to say blog. Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> So in terms of the bog's relationship to communities at the time, bogs produced uh, peat, Mm -hmm. which could be used both for uh, fuel, Mm -hmm. for warmth, and also for building materials. Yes. Sorry, when you when you said for warmth, I imagined everyone like sitting in it like it was a hot tub, you know, like the whole village just chilling (laughs) in the bog. I mean, you could if you really wanted to. Pretty, well, yeah, because I would stop you. I, I googled. Um, I was trying to find a picture of the Elling woman, and I couldn't remember what she was called. So mm. I, I googled um, "woman in bog," and I think it's a fetish that people have. Oh no! Oh yeah! I mean, it's a fetish I could have, so you know, I shouldn't judge too much. No, I mean, shouldn't <laughs> judge, but I'm just. I just learn every single day that about new stuff that I didn't think could exist. Um, hey if something exists someone has made porn of it oh yeah totally yeah (laughs) bogs also give out something called bog ore which could be fashioned into iron yes therefore they seem to be very important if they're producing these things and there always seems to be this kind of i don't want to keep using the word thing but i'm going to use the word thing thing that occurs in these kind of communities where if something gives something like uh, fruit or food or warmth, or cloth, then usually offerings are given in return. Um, and this is it, this is regularly found with bogs. They find clothing, pottery, jewellery, sacrificed domestic animals, things that are clear that offerings are being made to this area. And if I may be... Well, no, actually, I'm not being crude. I'm being academic um, for a minute. Mm. One of the things we were told in our Seamus Heaney study was... Um, our, our teacher was like, and remember... That the um the bog is um is a, a, a vaginal metaphor, and obviously at oh, the time God. we were all like, wait what? But um yeah, potentially maybe that's how they saw it too back maybe. in the oldie times, and therefore returning something was mm. returning something to the un the the other. Well, I don't know enough about any society that we have discussed thus far <laughs> to comment on that, but I'm just saying it could potentially also have been symbolic as 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 a way yeah. of giving back to Yonic. The, yes, thank you. That the opposite of Philip. <laughs> but we had a very uncomfortable discussion about that in class. <laughs> the problem with this theory, kind of, is that there's no real through line mm-hmm. between all the bodies to kind of make them a thing that is sought out. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're from so many different times and cultures, and, I mean, mm. the, the, the bodies themselves are kind of... There's not really a, a victim profile, <laughs> I want to say. Yeah. Person. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's the thing of like, 
Some of them are found malnourished. Some of them had meals before their death. Tolland man. Yep. Some have multiple wounds, like the Tolland man or the conclave, or the clo- not conclave. That's a song by Ghost. <laughs> Connie Carvin man. <laughs> you get that. <laughs> Who had uh, the multiple wounds that we discussed, while some only have one. Some have physical abnormalities, such as um, a curved spine. Mm. Or gigantism, or extra thumbs. I was going to say that could potentially teach us more about the way people born um, with certain disabilities were seen guarded in mm. such tribes. Absolutely. But yeah, there's. I guess there's. If we don't know if they've been sacrificed or not. Mm. Mm. But there's a theory by an archaeologist called Miranda Oldhouse Green mm-hmm. that these people might have been sought out specifically because of these visual differences. Right. As, you know, you see in, in some, even now in some cultures, that people with physical, visual disabilities are thought to be either touched by gods or touched by demons or any manner of things because they are visually different. Like that girl in India was born with eight arms. Yes, exactly like yeah. that. With some of them as well, um, after death, There is often signs of more injuries being done to them, such as uh, willow branches being put through wounds in arms, and willow um, has has long been related to magic and to various goddesses and gods, or found with stakes driven through their knees. Why the knees? I don't know why specifically the knees. I'm frustrated more at that than anything else that we don't know that. Why the knees? (laughs) Who knows, man? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. But this this is theorised to be to either keep the spirit where it's needed, if it's in the case of a, an offering. Needed. Sorry. Like to a harvest goddess. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I just got what you were saying. That's unfortunate for you. <laughs> or to stop the spirit enacting some kind of revenge on the village. Cool. I've requested that I be buried in such a way because inevitably my spirit will be seeking revenge. Good. Mm. Some are also humiliated, such as the Lindell man who is buried nude, while others found with the head potentially shaved. Now, I've I've read a theory that they, they thought that about some victims, like um, the Windby uh, body is quite a famous one, yeah. which um, they, they believed it was female originally, but now it's believed to have been a, like an adolescent male. And they mm. they thought that her um, head had been half shaved, but they later concluded that the scalp had just sort of sloughed off Ooh. on one on the half of the body that had been you know more exposed to the to the elements. That's how I get my hair cut done. <laughs> Same. It's quarantine. You got to do what you got to do. I cut my fringe with nail scissors the other day. Oh my god! It looks fantastic. <laughs> it does. I saw it briefly, and it looked great. It's 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 not good, but yeah. So the the, the um, I think that theory is less popular now in the like a, mm. about the edge of the sort of ritualistic. Which head shaving can be ritualistic as well. Yeah, as 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 shameful, you know. Um, I want to say Rome. They shaved the head. Yeah, that's a Roman thing. That was a Roman morning ritual, mm. I think. Ritualistic. Yeah, love it. So yeah, that that's a thing. Yeah. So this is the kind of frustrating thing with bog bodies is there's a lot of theories and and at the moment no real answers. We don't know why these bodies were put there, but we can theorise that they didn't know it would mummify them. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning, it does seem to be more accidental than purposeful. It seems to be more 
the bodies need to be in the box, then the bodies need to be preserved. Yeah, I mean, with something like Egyptian mummies, it's very, I mean, it's very well documented how and why they did mm. it. <laughs> so it's kind of frustrating when you get the. You know what we need? We need um, we need that tablet thing from the night the museum films, okay? And we yes. need to bring it into the British Museum. And instead of instead of like having wacky hijinks, like in the film Night the Museum wake up Three, the window, man. Secret of the Tomb, we need to wake him up and be like, "So what's the deal? What's going on?" <laughs> what they can unequivocally unequivocally tell us is although they might not be able to tell us why they got there or why they were buried what they can tell us is more about where they came from and the kind of style of life at the time yes and that's incredibly valuable yeah so i'd like to use the example of the huldramosa woman Mm. who was found in jutland in denmark and dated to between 160 bce and 340 ce she is documented to have some of the most well-preserved clothing um, of any bog bodies. Look up a picture of this if you can. She, Her clothing looks fantastic. Mm. It looks incredible. She was found wearing two cloaks, one of dark sheepskin with a light lambskin collar and another one made of lambskin. Both of these were heavily patched, showing that it was a long-use item. We stan a queen who uh, is environmentally conscious. Exactly. Mm. We stan a queen. But she was found... One of the patches was found to actually kind of be a pseudo-pocket containing a bone comb, a thin blue hairband, and leather cord, uh, which were all contained in an animal bladder, which was a regular thing. (laughs) And they possibly were amulets, since they couldn't be accessed as the pocket was sewn shut. Of course the pocket was sewn shut, that's women's clothing for you. (laughs) Fucking is, isn't it? I have a jacket with with pockets on it, and they're fake pockets. Ugh. Fuck that. (laughs) She was also found wearing a very fine uh, checked wool scarf and skirt. Looks great. um, Which is so well preserved you can still see the the exact weaving pattern. And I think Mm. people have tried to recreate it, which is incredible. Honestly. Yeah, that's that's quite... um, There's there's another famous, I think, Danish bog body called the Eggfed Mm. Girl. Yes. And I think her clothes were the best preserved part because um, I, don't, I mm. don't think her bones made it, but like her skin and her hair did. But um, her exact outfit has been preserved and they've been able to sort of recreate it. And yeah. um, it, it looked great. She's wearing a crop top and a miniskirt. Yeah. So funny. Whenever you read about that, you can really tell a lot about the person doing the research because... Some people always go, well, she couldn't have just been wearing that. Obviously, there was an under- undergarment that's been lost to time. And it's like, yeah, but we find a lot of statues, like little figures mm. of women wearing just string skirts. It was, yeah. it's, it's documented in the only way it can be documented. She could, Stop shaming her. Yeah. She was just out there living her best life. <laughs> There's a theory in a book that I've been reading called Women's Work, The First 20,000 Years. And it's looks at kind of women's role in society in relation to weaving and cloth production um, Mm. and fibre work and she has this theory because of the prevalence of these skirts appearing on what could potentially be fertility statues that they were a gift when you reached kind of sexual maturity wish we still did that yeah but because they drew the eye down to a specific region of the body. The naughty bit. Yeah. So yeah, that's the theory that she has. Again, it's a theory, we don't know, but it's a fun theory, and I like it. 
because it makes mm. me happy that it might upset some stuffy old historians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe she was just wearing a crop top and a miniskirt, you know, just out there having fun. Yeah. <laughs> the skirt and scarf, although they are kind of orangey-brown now due to the tanning that happened to them, they would have originally been red and blue, respectively. Cool. Yeah. And she was also wearing an amber necklace and a what they think was a gold ring, although the ring isn't there anymore. There is kind of residue and a kind of um, indent on her finger. Cool. So if we look at her especially, they can tell us straight away what kind of fabrics and weaving patterns were in use. They were showing items that were kind of important enough to be offered to bogs. So things like, like earlier I mentioned, pottery, jewellery, animals. They also kind of give us a rough idea of, of what people at the time looked like, which is always fun, especially with the kind of facial reconstructions. Those are always a bit strange looking, but they it, are. it's good, I guess, to see what people probably look like. Yeah, there's a really, really good one at the, I want to say the Museum of Brighton. I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's what I'm going to call it. Um, of a Stone Age woman, and that's really beautiful. She like she's gorgeous. It's wonderful. Mm. As well, like I mentioned with the Elling woman, sometimes the hair is so well preserved that not only can you see how it was done, but you can recreate it. Yes, which people have. There's hair tutorials online on how to do the Elling woman's hairstyle. There's also one for a woman called the Arden woman who wore her hair braided up onto her head, kind of similarly to what we would call now milkmaid braids. Oh, cool. With leather cords woven through, which essentially is an excellent way of keeping your braids on your head when you don't have pins. Nice. Mm. And you've also got the Osterby man, who wore his hair in a sort of coiled knot at the front of his head. Man bun, man bun, man bun. Man bun, man bun. (laughs) You know, those things kind of might seem small in comparison to, you know, other historical or archaeological discoveries that are found, but they're very kind of human and very close to people, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. It's more, I mean, that's always what interested me more about history rather than learning about, like, who was in charge of what was just mm. what people did. Yeah, absolutely. Every day, even it just, just for fun or, like, how they did their hair or whatever. You know, because mm. pe- people have always been people and even when they had limited resources, people would try and you know, look pretty or yeah, whatever, and that's that. That's a yeah, that's a great way to see someone's personality a bit. You know, mm. it makes them seem a lot more real. Yes, yeah, because like seeing kind of, oh, here's a ruin or here's you know um, some bones. You're like, I get that this was made by people, but they feel so far away. Yeah, yeah. and then you see something like you know the hairstyle or the or the cloth. Mm. And it's just immediately, oh, yeah, okay, that's that's, that's a whole person. Yeah. yeah. There was a, a, when I went to Newcastle for Christmas to visit my family, mm-hmm. um, in one of the museums there called the Hancock, they had this pot, I think it was Stone Age, I want to say it was Stone Age, and it had a pattern done on it, which had been done just with a fingernail, and you could see the kind of indent of this nail going round it, and it was just that kind of, that was made by a person. Yeah. I can see how it was made and it's lovely. It is lovely. It's, it just really, and I mean, on the, the sorry, the, this is dark, but this is kind of what I've been <laughs> studying all day. Um, it also helps mm. to bring humanity to situations where it's very easy to dehumanize people. So for example, in 
in the in a dark tourism example when i mm. went to when i visited auschwitz for the the first time because i've been twice don't ask how it just happened the it kind of hit me for it hits everyone at different points because everyone's different but mm. for me it was seeing this the pile of of hair that had been taken from prisoners and a lot mm. of it was still in braids like some with ribbons still attached oh geez exactly yeah that it's that mm. you know, and there was there was similar stuff absolutely everywhere. But you know, it, it, it I think it's good to look at all history and remember that it's full of people. Yeah. Yeah, you have far more in common with those people than you do different from them. You know. Mm. It kind of brings a uh, humanity to something that might otherwise just be an inanimate object. Yes, exactly. Mm. I mean, I was about to go all pretentious and bring out my master's theorising <laughs> on uh, Walter Benjamin and the aura of the authentic object, but you know what? I'm going to leave that. <laughs> After we finished, tell me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Something else that these bodies can tell us, um, mm. which is very fun, is trading. They can tell yes. us about trading and travel. Very important. Mm. So earlier we mentioned the Gunnister Man. Now he's a bit of an outlier because he's from the 18th century, not the Iron Age. But he was found with coins from the Netherlands and Sweden, mm-hmm. which were common at the time during due to trading. But he was also found with silk ribbon, which is very exciting. That is very exciting. Mm. The Clonycarven Man was found wearing hair gel in his hair, or what we would think of as hair gel. <laughs> Very nice. The theory is that it was to make him look taller, because he was quite a short king. <laughs> ah yes, the Guy Fieri, gotcha. <laughs> uh, but the hair gel was made from a mixture of plant oil and pine resin, mm-hmm. which had been imported from either northern Spain or southwest France, showing that people in Ireland had a connection with Celtic Iberia. Okay. Which is very cool. Yeah, that is cool. The Huldramosa woman was found to have remnants of plant fibres, like uh, flax or nettle, on her skin, mm-hmm. which most likely were left over from undergarments which hadn't survived. You've got to have your nettle pants on sometimes. <laughs> so this is a scientific thing that I think I understand, but not really. So a, something called a strontium isotope test was done. You're the expert here. please. <laughs> So strontium is something that's absorbed into both fabric and skins and the body through food and through ecological, environmental um, things. Gotcha. Yeah. And you can use this this test to establish where things came from. I think it was done with, or a similar test was done with the, what's her name? What's that woman who was found burned and they covered it on the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode. Oh, the the, the Lady of the Dunes? Is that who you... No, the other one. Oh, the... Was the, found the, 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 in the, Norway. The, yeah, I know who you mean. I just, well, I mean, no one actually knows her name, so... But I, I know the one you mean. The title she was given. Uh, the the lady in the in the valley who burned lady, woman, valley, yes. dead, spy. <laughs> but they did a test on her to... S- to tell where she had come from based on the water she'd drunk, mm. which is very cool. Yeah. But uh, the test run on the Huldramosa's woman, the Huldramosa woman, on her, the remains of the undergarments showed that the fibres had come from somewhere more northern than Denmark, so either Russia or uh, Norway or Sweden or Finland. 
Cool. And similar results came from her teeth and bones, mm. meaning that she'd most likely travelled to Denmark rather than coming from there. Yeah, I've read something similar about the um, the egg-fed girl, because mm. there, there was a theory based on, I think it was based on food, mm-hmm. though I'm not 100% sure that um, that was found in, in her stomach, that she was from the Black Forest and had travelled to Denmark. I think the theory might have been thrown out, but it's still, yeah. you know... I mean, there are, there are other cases, so it kind of suggests people may have been more well-travelled than we initially would have thought they'd be at this time. Yeah. yeah. There's a, another body from the same area of, of Denmark called the... Now, this is another word I have trouble with. The Haraldskir woman. And she also seemed to have travelled from somewhere more northern. Mm-hmm. And that does give way to another theory as to why they were chosen was that they were outsiders. Okay, okay, I get it. Wicker Man situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that kind of brings us to the end of my little dive into... The bog. Into the lovely bog. Good. Great minds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I hope that I've I've managed to, to teach you a few things. Yeah, I definitely learned stuff about... Yeah, my, my knowledge of bog bodies was pretty shallow, to be honest. It didn't go... Uh, that's kind of a pun, so... Just let it, just <laughs> let it sink in. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, because I've seen, I've seen um, the the Lindo man, of course, and that's pretty mm. much. And I'd read the poems, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, a lot of them, I think, at this point, are too fragile to be put on display. Yeah. I know that the the Lindo man has essentially been. I think it was essentially resined <laughs> um, to stop him decomposing more because he's now in a not in an anaerobic situation. I know he's in like a very specialised container because I remember reading the sign on the side that was basically like warning do not punch through this glass and I was like oh what a shame (laughs) I was about to put my fist through this glass. And touch him. And touch him my friend. (laughs) But yeah I I really enjoy looking at bog bodies because a lot of a lot of what we know about Iron Age and Bronze Age and, and Stone Age comes from these kind of finds. Because, again, they didn't write anything down. Mm-hmm. Which is hilarious, because at the Bronze Age, the Egyptians had hieroglyphs. I know, right? So, you know. Yeah, they had bronze. They could have... St- that's what they did in, in, in China. They wrote stuff down on bronze. Mm, exactly. And before that, they had bones. Europe was just behind. Yeah, in China, they... they, they um, the, the language began on... Kanji began on oracle bones. And they always had bones, so they could have just started that. Yeah. Honestly, what are we doing in Europe? We just sleep at the wheel. <laughs> just Northern Europe, like, no, we'll be there in a minute, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's, it's very interesting seeing how people did live back then. Yeah. So yeah, what are we covering next time? What are we covering next time? Well, next time is my mandate again. Mm-hmm. And for my topic, I have chosen something I've been a tiny bit obsessed with recently. Do tell. I'm keeping the category quite sort of broad at the moment because I still haven't narrowed down everything I want to do. But I'm happy to tell you it's going to be all about the ocean Ooh. and the mysteries therein. That's a deep subject. I deserve that. <laughs> yes, it is. It's... um. It may even be like a part one of an eventual sequel because obviously mm. there's a lot to talk about. But my main, what I started looking at was shipwrecks. Ooh. Yeah. So this this might just be kind of you know man-made. I mean, we we kind of touched on a couple of like water cryptids. Mm. You know, but they, basically there's a lot going on in the seas around Britain. Yeah, boy. We're gonna talk about it. 
Fuck yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, thank you for the for the for the bog bodies. You're welcome. But yeah, with that, we've come to the end of the show, and it's time to yeah. bid you good night. Good night. Mm-hmm.